doing? Excellent. Well, it's good to see you here tonight, and uh, welcome again to Crosspoint. Uh, you may have noticed by now that there are some gentlemen running around with cameras and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, so every year, we need to update our website and our pictures and our promotional materials and all that kind of stuff. So that is who is here tonight. That is why they're doing this tonight. South Campus, they're actually going to be there uh, with you guys uh, during church as well. And so we just wanted to give you the heads up not to be like, what is going on? Why isn't anyone talking about this right now? Uh, so if you're not, you probably won't be in any of these pictures. Don't worry about it, except you might. So heads up. Um, all right. How many of you have ever been unreasonably bothered by a commercial? Anyone? It doesn't even make sense. Right, that you're so bugged by it, but you really are. Uh, for me, right now, some of those commercials are the Chevy commercials with real people, not actors. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? The same guy is in all of them. This is like his full-time job right now, a Chevy commercial host. And, and they get these people who don't know anything about vehicles to come in and look at their cars, and there's one where you actually only see the front end of the Chevy and all of a sudden, like, the wall lifts up and you can see the back end. And they're all amazed. Like, I didn't know that car had a back end. And it's, they're astounded. And one lady's like, oh, it reminds me of, you know, she compares it to a mullet. She has a party, or it's like a business in the front, party in the back. Talking about a Chevy hatchback. If any vehicle is a mullet, it's going to be like a pickup truck or something, right? And if your idea of a party is the back end of a Chevy hatchback, I don't even want to go to your parties, right? Like... They're just the dumbest commercial. They don't make any sense to me, and I can't stand them. Another commercial kind of campaign that really bothers me, because you're going to think I'm so weird. I really hate commercials. Um, it's the Scotiabank campaign that's been going on for years that says, you're richer than you think. No, no, pretty sure I sat down with my budget yesterday. I know exactly where my finances stand. I have never been, like, surprised to find missing hundreds of dollars in my bank account, ever. It's never happened. In fact, usually when I sit down to do my budget, I discover that I am, in fact, poorer than I thought. And it ends up just being a rude awakening. I think they should personalize those commercials for all of us. You're richer than you think. Except for you, Mark Brewer. Still owe, still owe us about 19 grand. So, you know, anytime now. Drives me crazy. Richer than you think. How many of you actually feel super rich? Is there anyone? Right? No one, no one ever classifies themselves as being rich. Have you noticed that? Rich is always the other guy. Rich is always the other family. Rich is the other neighborhood. Rich is the other side of the country. I'm pretty sure the definition of rich is actually a little more than what you currently have. Isn't that how we would define rich? It's more than what we currently have. In fact, there was a Gallup poll done recently. It was published in Money Magazine. And they actually found out statistically that rich is about roughly double of what you currently have. So for the, and it doesn't matter how much you had. If you make $25,000 a year, those people said, I would feel rich if I had twice as much. If I made $50,000, I'd feel so much better. But the people making $50,000 said, you know what rich would be? It would be about $100,000. It would be six digits. That's what it would be. And you see where I'm going with this. The people who actually made $100,000 said rich to them was, was two or two fifty, about a quarter million. That's when you start getting into rich. And it went all the way up. People who made millions of dollars, $2.5 million as their net worth said, if I had about five, I'd feel rich. <laughs> and, and the poll basically concluded that rich is a little bit more than what you have. 
Rich is more than whatever it is that you currently have. So nobody feels rich because it's always someone else. No one classifies themselves as rich because it's always in a different category than the one you find yourself in. So that's a problem is that you can be rich and never feel it. You can be rich and never know it, never enjoy it, never really understand that in fact you are rich. I want to kind of clarify that for us today is that we're rich. How many of you woke up in a bed today? Right? How many of you ate food at some point during the day? How many of you had, you, you had clothes that you could pick from before? Like, how many of you rolled out of bed and you're still wearing that right now? That's, that's probably not great, right? Some of you. <laughs> There's always one or two hands. How many of you arrived here in some kind of vehicle today? How many of you put some kind of chemical on your body to make yourself smell better, right? This... See, we don't ever classify ourselves as rich, but you all know this, you have all heard this, that by global standards, we are actually incredibly rich. And if you're able to click off not just one of those, but all of those that are on that list, you are in the top 5 to 7% wealthiest people on the planet. We are richer than we think. <laughs> See, the problem lies in that we have convinced ourselves that we're not. We have convinced ourselves that, that rich is something different. And, and even the things we complain about point to our wealth. I would guess that most of the things that you have complained about this year have actually been what we would call rich people problems. How many of you have complained about the Wi-Fi speed in the last month somewhere? That's a rich person problem. How many of you have complained about car repairs this year at some point? Rich person problem. How many of you have ever been upset that you had a flight delayed? Rich person problem. How many of you will be upset at some point this winter that you've got a driveway that needs to be cleared after a snowstorm? Rich person problem. So we don't classify ourselves as being rich, and yet we have so much. You can be rich and not know it. And my, my point today is not to make anyone feel guilty or to feel bad. I want us to instead feel grateful. I don't want us to feel guilty. I want us to feel grateful. And I also want to change the way that we think. Because the problem lies in thinking that if I'm not rich, then I also can't be generous. I would be so much more generous if I was rich. I would give so much more if I made so much more. And so we have convinced ourselves that we are actually not rich enough to be generous. We have convinced ourselves that I don't actually have enough to give anything worthwhile. I don't, I don't have enough to make any kind of contribution that, that matters. And see, that is a problem. Your generosity is based on your context, not your contribution. And that's what I want to talk about today. That our generosity is actually based in our context. And so we started this new series uh, last week called Resourceful. And we're talking about how we're supposed to take care of the things that God has entrusted to us. Everything we have comes from God's hand. We don't own any of it. We manage all of it. That's what we believe. And so this is not a money series. This is about our time. This is about our talents. This is about kind of our everyday living. What am I doing with what God has given me? Because I want to be sure that I'm honoring him and I'm doing the best with the things that he has given me. In other words, what matters isn't how much you have, it's what you do with how much you have. How much you have doesn't matter. It's what you do with how much you have that matters. And so last week we talked about this whole idea of return, that often we will only give if there's a return in it for us. 
the return on investment, what's in it for me? We'll often only be generous if there's some kind of repayment. But what if Jesus says, well, what if I want you to give to people who can't ever pay you back? What if I want to love people who will never reciprocate that kind of love? What if feeding the hungry and sheltering the poor and, and you know, pursuing justice on this world doesn't actually end up with any reward for you while you're here? What if the reward only comes in heaven? Will you still be generous people? And so today... We're going to continue to talk this kind of about this idea of, of generosity and giving, but not on like a general front, but a very specific front about all of us personally. So I want to go back to this idea that most of us don't necessarily feel rich, but we are. We are, probably all have more than we need. In fact, isn't that a very North American problem? We all feel like we don't have enough. The problem is actually we have too much. That's the thing that messes us up. North America has an obesity problem. It's not because we need food. We have too much. North America has a, a credit problem and a debt problem. It's not because we don't have enough. It's because we're not satisfied with how much we have and we think we need more. Our problem lies in the excess of things that we have, and yet we have still somehow convinced ourselves that we don't have enough, that we are not rich enough. The problem is not that we're living in poverty. It's that we have a poverty mindset. That says, I'm never satisfied, I never have enough, I'll never have enough, I'll never get to that point, especially if rich is a moving target. Especially if rich is something that is always a little bit further ahead than I am. So we're convinced, well, if I could get to their level, if I drove their car, if I had their amount of money, then I would be satisfied. But we get there and we see another family that's got a different car and a different amount of money. And so we've convinced ourselves that we always lack. And so we're not satisfied with what it is that we have. We don't need more stuff. We need more wisdom to figure out what it is to do with our stuff. So we need to change the way that we think because the way that you think will turn into the way that you act, right? What you think is what you do. How you think is how you act. And so if you think, oh, I'm not rich enough to be generous, if you think I don't have enough to give anything worthwhile, then guess what? You're probably not going to be generous. You have tricked yourself into thinking that I, I really don't have enough and, and generosity is what rich people do and I'm not there. And so you have, you have kind of convinced yourself that I don't need to be generous and on top of that, you don't feel bad about it because that's just what other people could do and I'm not ever going to get there. Well, that is not the biblical model of generosity. Remember Ephesians 3, we looked at it last week that said God actually has unlimited resources. He has glorious, unlimited resources, and what we have isn't ours. So I'm not even giving from what I have. I'm only ever giving from what he has given me, and he does not run out because he has it all. So actually, I could give and give and give, and he would continue to give to me, and I shouldn't ever be worried about running out. Right? The problem is in the way that we think, but what the Bible says is that God is able to do immeasurably more than you can think. And so maybe we need to change the way that we think so that we end up changing the way that we act so that we can become a generous people. And so I want to look at a passage today from 2 Corinthians. And the context to this passage is that Paul has been writing to all of these churches and he's actually kind of in the middle of a financial campaign to, to raise money for the church in Jerusalem. 
The church in Jerusalem was going through an exceptionally difficult time. They were in the middle of war, they were in the middle of a famine, and they were being heavily persecuted. And so they literally often did not have places to stay or food to eat or clothes to wear. And so Paul writes to all these churches and says, listen, we need to kind of pool together our resources so that we can help this church out. And so he writes this letter to the church at Corinth, but he highlights one specific group of churches. And he says, I really want you guys to see what these churches did, because I think that there's a lot we can learn from them. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. 2 Corinthians 8, starting at verse 1. There's a pause for effect. It says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but... They are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Did you catch that? They begged for the privilege to be generous. Verse 6 goes on, So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and, and you were the first who began doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give to what you have, not what you don't have. And of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. Yeah, there's a lot in there, isn't there? And so I want to walk through this today and talk about these churches in Macedonia that have really grasped the idea of biblical generosity. Verse says, they are being, verse 2 says, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. So they had many troubles, and they were very poor. And so Paul actually wasn't going to ask them for money. He actually doesn't go to them first to say, hey, we're, we're fundraising for Jerusalem. He says, they actually came to me and begged to be a part of it because they didn't want to be left out. He didn't go to them because they had lots of troubles and they were very poor. That's not who you ask for money. Right? If you're starting like this huge fundraising campaign, if we go into a building project, someone asks, hey, Mark, who are you going to first to ask for the money? Uh, probably the poorest people with the most problems. That seems like a great starting point, right? Now, that is not who you go ask for money, but Paul says they actually wanted to be in on it, and they actually ended up being filled with generosity. They were very poor, but very rich in generosity. You can be poor and generous. 
So don't trick yourself into thinking, oh, I wish I was rich so I could give. You can be poor and generous. The church in Macedonia was. And it says it stemmed from their joy. Do you ever notice that joy and generosity seem to go hand in hand? You think of the most joyful people that you know, I would guess that most of them are pretty generous. And you think of the most generous people you know, and I bet that they're pretty joyful. It's almost like there's a biblical connection. And uh, I'd probably go so far as to say, think of the stingiest, tightest people you know. Are they grumpy a little bit? See, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said it actually is a greater blessing to give than to receive. And I would guarantee that as your generosity increases, your joy will also. And as your joy increases, your generosity will also. This is a biblical principle. The church was poor, they had many troubles, and they were generous. And it says they gave joyfully. Joyfully. Verse 3 goes on to say, For I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They gave far more. No one ever gives far more. We always pay the exact price down to the penny. We don't have a penny. Down to the nickel. <laughs> right? We, you know, did they give just enough? Did they give enough that, that it was acceptable? Did they give enough that it was convenient? Did they give enough to the point where, all right, that's probably good. No, they gave far more than what they were supposed to give. How many of you, we just like to throw in a small tip sometimes, don't we? How many of you have gone to Tim Hortons and you left your, your dime and your nickel there? Right? It comes to a buck 85, you hand them a toonie, they go to reach the, the, the change back, and you're like, no, no, I'm good, thanks. So magnanimous. Right? Like, if we, we drive away feeling like we just paid for their kid's college or something. It's like, oh, no, no, that tip's for you. You're welcome. It doesn't take much to make us feel good about that kind of stuff, right? That's, we'll just throw in a little bit of a little tip like that. How often, when we have given, have we given just to the point of pain and stopped there? How often do we give, do we give only enough that we actually won't miss it? That's despair that I had kicking around. It's really not going to be a, too much of a bother for me to, to worry about it. No, you can have that much. So the church in Macedonia gave far more, far more. No one coerced them, Paul says. They did this willingly. It's like Paul wants to clarify that to all the other churches. Listen, I didn't coerce them into this. I didn't have to beg. I, I didn't have to come up with some kind of slick fundraising campaign. I didn't have to trick them into anything. They gave far more, and they did it willingly. So Paul says, look at this church and the way that they gave joyfully, the way that they gave generously, the way that they gave willingly. And he says, you guys would all do well to learn that same kind of giving. He says to the church in Corinth, that's, that's the standard. They blew me away with the kind of way that they gave generously. Can you imagine what would happen to the church if we all gave generously, joyfully, and willingly? I mean, not just our church, but to the church, the global church. Think of the, the good that we could do. Think of the impact that we could have, the justice that we could pursue, like we talked about last week, if we gave joyfully, generously, and willingly. 
And we announced this project last week to raise $35,000 to build a housing unit for the city of Fredericton. It's kind of like a big, like, whew, okay, 35 grand, let's see what we can do. Wouldn't it be crazy if we gave joyfully, generously, and willingly and bought two? Right? Like, what, what would happen if the church gave like this? What would it look like? What would it look like if we tithed like this? What would, what would our church be capable of doing in our community if instead of hoping week to week we could pay our bills, we were actually in abundance so that we could go out into our city and do good? And we actually had a mid-year uh, financial update at the pastor's chat last weekend, and we're, we're doing great. We're on track. Things are good. Uh, it takes about $12,000 a week for us to hit budget. That's a $600,000 a year is our annual budget, and so we are on track, and that's really good. But if we all gave joyfully, generously, and willingly, uh, we would top 12000 every week for a joke, I'm pretty sure. What could we do? Think of the good. Think of the impact we could have. Think of how that would change our city and beyond. It's pretty exciting stuff. So how did they do this? How did they give so much when they were in troubles, when, when they were poor, when they didn't have much? And, and here's what he says in verse 11. He says, give in proportion to what you have. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have. He says it twice, not what you don't have. He says, stop comparing yourself to the people who can give more than you. Don't, don't think about what you don't have. Give according to what you have. So we're going to talk about this. Let, how many of you understand that we all have different amounts, right? Everyone in this room has a different amount in their account. True? There's a pretty wide variety of people here. And so what happens sometimes is we end up thinking, well, I can't give as much as them. I wish I was able to give as much as they can give. I wish I was able to be as generous. How many of you have ever thought, well, I would, I had your money, I'd be generous. <laughs> right? You've thought it, haven't you? If I had your money, I'd be generous. If I made their salary, tithing 10% wouldn't be hard. If I had their salary, then I would tithe. Then I would be able to get by. What a broken way of thinking. Listen, if you're not generous now with what you have, the chances of you being generous later when you get more is very small. Generosity is a thing that you train yourself to do. And the more you do it, the easier it gets, the better you will get at it. But it's not going to start if you don't start now with what you have right now. Don't ever think, I'll give later when I get more. That's not generosity. Generosity is when you give according to what you have right now. Generosity is something that you do regardless of your context. And you don't need to be thinking about anyone else's context when it comes to your giving. Right? You don't need to think about their context when it comes to your giving. The biblical model in verse 11 is give in proportion to what you have. And so you can't measure your contribution up against someone else's context. You can't. That's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be healthy for you. That's not the point yeah, oh, I don't think I'm rich, so I better not give much. I can't give much. That's not, no, no, it's not about a comparison. It's about what you're doing right now with what you have. And so we're going to kind of do it this way here. So imagine that these two cups represent your giving capacity. So this cup, this person has a very large giving capacity, and this person has a little bit of a smaller giving capacity. And so the day comes that there's going to be some kind of big campaign. Maybe, hypothetically, it's a housing project that you're raising money for, and the offering time comes, and this person's like, yeah, we're going to give this much. 
And you're like, that's a lot. That's really good. But then this person comes along and says, yeah, we're going to give a lot. We're going to actually give a little bit more. Because <laughs> I knew I would spill it. And so you look at this, and the question that you would ask yourself is, who gave more? That's not the right question, is it? It's not about who gave more. Obviously, this person gave more if you're talking sheer numbers, if you're talking about an amount, but we're not talking about an amount. We're talking about your context. See, God is not going to measure what you gave according to anyone else's context. He's going to measure what you gave according to the context that he has given you. You will be held accountable to the capacity that he has given you. That is your context. Not this. You can't compare your capacity with someone else's because you all know the answer to the question. This is not a trick question. This person gave more. We understand that, right? It's about what we do with it. We need to understand our context. Now I'm trying to switch pages with no hands, and it's working really well. <laughs> and you can't come to this and think, well, if I had more, I'd give more. Because you can give your all. And we look at this and we think this person could be incredibly generous. So can this person. And they were. And they did. Don't compare your contribution to someone else's context. God is looking at what you did with what you have been given. That's what he's wondering. That's what he's waiting to see if you will be faithful with what he has given you. I'll give more when I get more. God's not interested in that. You know that God honors action, not intention. God honors action, not intention. Your generosity is not measured by some future intention, but by your current action. But no, I was going to be generous someday, God. I was going to be generous when I got more. He's probably going to go, well, guess what? You're not going to get more. Because, see, I have this verse, Jesus says, that says, to whom much is given, much is actually required. And I am looking to the people that I have blessed with a large capacity, but I have given it to them because I have a large requirement to ask of them. If you have been given this much, it's because I want you to do something with that much. And see, the problem lies in thinking, oh, no, I mean, I gave this. We've got high-capacity, big-cup people who give this much and think that they're doing great. That's a problem. And we've got lower-capacity people who give everything and feel badly. And that's a problem. And so we need to change our thinking. Give according to proportion to what you have. Your contribution, contribution is measured by your context, not anyone else's, not a future intention. What are you doing with what you have been given now? He honors your action, not your intention. Jesus told a story about this in Luke chapter 21. He says this in verse 1. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box and then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. So she gave more. Well, she didn't. If you're talking about an amount, if you're talking about the size of the actual gift, but Jesus said, no, 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 she gave more. She outgave them. 
She exceeded them in generosity because she gave her cup right to the brim. And theirs only went up a little bit of the way. And so I want us to get this as a church. The size of the gift is not the point. The size of your generosity is the point. The heart behind your generosity is the point. And so whether it's your weekly giving, your tithe for a housing project, for a future building campaign, whatever that is, there's no point in thinking, well, there's no point in me giving every week. It's not going to put a dent in $12,000. What good is that? It's not about that. It's about giving in proportion to what you have been given by God because he's watching to see what you do with it to see if you're able to handle more. That's the parable of the talents, which we're actually going to get to a little later on in the series. But he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you this much, and you used it well. So now, I'll give you this much. See, oftentimes we don't give because we want more. We don't understand the biblical principle is if you give more, he'll probably give you more. We're trying to get more by holding on to our little bit. He says, no, that's not the way you do it. Give it away and be generous and watch what I do. Remember, it's all mine. It's all mine. I have glorious unlimited resources. Don't worry that if you give from your small capacity, you're going to run out somehow. I don't run out. So honor me and be faithful and see what I do with it. He said, this woman outgave you all. So, how are we doing with this? How is your generosity? How is your heart behind your generosity? What do thoughts come through your head when, when someone stands up and says, all right, we're going to raise $35,000 and, and raise money for this housing project. Was it great? I hope other people kick in. <laughs> great. I can't wait for the rich people to write those checks. Or did you look at your amount and say, how can I be generous with what God has given me? How can I give to this joyfully? How can I give to this generously? How can I give to this willingly? What if we gave far more? What if we didn't use our current troubles as an excuse? How many times have we looked at, at our troubles and our bank account and came to the conclusion, well, I guess I'm not really able to give this time around. They gave far more. That's unbelievable. Oh, but I'm not rich, but we are. I don't really have enough, but we do. What if he's asking you to move some numbers around in your budget so that you do have enough? Maybe it's less for you. Maybe that's the point sometimes. Remember, you're going to be held accountable to God, not for, for a specific amount that you gave, but what you did with the capacity that he gave you. He has given a lot of us, globally anyway, this kind of capacity. And the question is, is he pleased with the way that you're using your capacity? Are you giving generously, joyfully, willingly? This is not about the church. This is not about just a project. This is in general, in your day-to-day -day life. Is generosity a thing that is in your heart? Because if, he, if he's given us much, then he is expecting much. If he has given us much, then, then much is required of us. And so may we be like the churches in Macedonia. May that be our legacy, that people would look at us and say, man, that church gave generously and joyfully, and no one had to trick them into it. No one, no one was holding them up by a gunpoint, give us all your money so we can do this thing. They just did it. They wanted to. He said they begged for the privilege to be able to be generous. How many times do we have to beg people to be generous? They begged to be generous. It's a change in thinking, isn't it? 
Paul goes on to say that they excelled in the gracious act of giving. Man, God help us to be a church that that is our legacy, that we excelled in the gracious act of giving for the good of the people around us, for the strength of the church, for the bettering of our city, and for the glory of God. Amen.